This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week on The Recap, we take you inside the biggest local and state stories of the week. This week, we're joined by WTTW's Brandis Friedman and WBEZ's Patrick Smith. Later on, we'll cover rising COVID numbers in Illinois and the latest news about Chicago public schools. But first, we're going to dig down deep into the biggest story of the week, the release of the video of the police shooting of 13-year-old Adam Toledo. No parent should ever have a video broadcast widely of their child's last moments. The city, of course, was prepared for the possibility of violence after that video came out. No riots, no looting, no nothing. We do peaceful protests because we're from a community that's all family. Alderman Ray Lopez joins us now over the phone. Any offender that makes those kind of movements is automatically going to be considered a threat to the officer. And I think that officer in particular showed amazing restraint with only one bullet and still trying to resuscitate the young man afterwards. He put his hands up and was still murdered. So I have a question. What more could he have done? This is a police officer that was faced with a deadly situation and it required him to use the ultimate use of force. And he's, he's broken up about the fact that he had to do it. If you're shooting a, an unarmed child with his hands in the air, it is an assassination. I said this in August of 2018. And here we are now in 2021. Foot pursuits put everyone involved at risk. Patrick, clearly this has been a difficult and emotional 24 hours for the family, the community, anyone who's seen it, including us, since the body cam video was released. Now, you've been following the story very closely. So walk us through what we've learned about what happened in the early morning hours of March 29th. We know that it does seem right now that what authorities said about what started this incident was true, that based on the materials that were released yesterday, that there were shots fired in the Little Village neighborhood, that police responded, that a gun apparently ended up in 13-year-old Adam Toledo's hand, and that he did, for a brief time, run from police. Now, as I, I think everybody listening now knows, that chase ended rather abruptly Uh Adam Toledo listened to the the directions of the police officer chasing him, eventually stopped in the alley, even though he could have kept running. There was space for him to keep running, but he obeyed commands eventually and and stopped. The officer told him to to raise his hands, and Adam Toledo did raise his hands. And at that same instant, Adam Toledo was shot. The, The officer fired a shot that killed Adam Toledo. The video does appear to show that there was a gun in his hand a moment, an instant before the shooting but that a gun was not in his hand when the police officer killed him. What do we know about the officer and his background? Police reports identify him as Eric Stillman. Uh, He's been on the police force for uh, more than five years. He joined in 2015. He is a military veteran, uh, according to his attorney. He's a 10th District Patrol officer, and we know that he is on desk duty, on administrative duty, 
for at least the next couple of weeks, possibly longer, while this shooting is being investigated. Before I pivot to, to Brandis, Patrick, tell us how police and prosecutors are interpreting what many of us have seen now in, in this body cam footage. Well, I think one thing to be clear about is that police have mostly uh, not said anything about what they think about this. Uh, you know, the, Superintendent David Brown has said he wants to let COPA do the investigation, doesn't want to weigh in on it. I was uh, at CPD headquarters yesterday afternoon for a viewing of the of, of parts of the body cam video and this sort of composite video that the police department put together. Chief of Detectives Brendan Deanahan went through the video with the media, but he was pretty limited in what he said. The point that they were trying to make was that this there is a gun in Adam Toledo's hand the instant before the officer shots, shoots, and what Chief Detective Deanahan repeatedly said was that it's less than a second between when that gun is in his hand and when the shot is fired. So police haven't said much, but they have been uh, they, they've clearly wanted that to get out, and, and they, they made they took great pains to make sure that the reporters got that message from them that that this gun was in his hand, you know, less than a second before the shot was fired. Brandis, what about you? I think you're looking at this video like me. You're you're a journalist. You're a mom. What did you see on the video? Uh, it was, you know, as we've been talking about this kind of around the newsroom and you know, kind of processing what we all had to cover yesterday. It's one of the hardest the hardest videos I've ever seen. Um, and not that I've seen a ton of these kinds of, you know, very disturbing and ugly videos, but it is, it is shocking, and I don't recommend watching it unless you absolutely have to. But, yeah, you, you, you see the officer uh, chase Adam Toledo through an alley. You know, it's, it's not a very long chase. Um, and, you know, like some of us ended up going through it frame by frame by frame just so that we could blow up the picture and get a really good look at it. And I think, you know, for a lot of folks, weren't we just here, what was it, almost seven years ago when Laquan McDonald was killed and then a year later when that video uh, came out? And it feels like, you know, it, it's just been stacked on top of, you know, uh, trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. Right. And each one hits harder than the last one. Hey, Patrick, I want to kick a, a Twitter question to you. Kay just wrote to me. She says, I'd like to hear about the 21-year-old who was with Adam Toledo and who perhaps gave him the gun. Is there anything that we know? His name is Ruben Roman Jr. We know that he has a previous gun conviction and has been charged in this case with illegal gun possession and, and child endangerment and aggravated discharge of a weapon. We know that police and prosecutors say that he fired the shots that, that brought police to Little Village and then handed the gun at some point to, to Adam Toledo. Um, and we know that, that Adam Toledo's family says they don't know anything about what their relationship would have been because they don't know him. Brandis, what have we heard from the mayor in the last day or so? Yesterday, before the video was released, a few hours before, she and the attorneys for the family, uh, for Adam Toledo's family, released a joint statement, um, you know, calling for calm. Uh, and then, you know, in the mayor's press conference uh, yesterday, also before that video was released, you know, she spent a lot of time um, you know, addressing the system that she believes, you know, a, a collection of, of you know, places along the way where the ball has been dropped, uh, where, you know, a 13-year-old should not have been out in the street with a 21-year-old with a gun, 
uh, in the middle of the night. And so she's, she's talked a lot about that. I think, you know, the question going forward, though, because everyone has, has said, and Patrick could probably confirm this, I think they were told in that meeting yesterday, you know, today is for grieving and tomorrow is for reform. But really, the day before yesterday was for reform and the week before that. So I think the question going forward will be now what and, and what are you going to do about this? Well, we have a little bit more of Mayor Lightfoot on tape. Let's listen. Two facts about this tragedy remain clear. First, in the middle of the night, this child was in contact with an adult who had a gun and then ended up being shot and killed by a police officer. Second, there are too many young people in our city, boys and girls alike, who have been left vulnerable by systemic failures that we simply must fix. Patrick, you've already said the police haven't been saying much, but tell us a bit more about what political leaders are saying. There's been a lot of outcry from much of the the city council talking about uh, the need for justice here. We've heard from Governor J.B. Pritzker um, talking about the need for justice here. One thing that Mayor Lightfoot has talked about and Superintendent David Brown is the need for a foot pursuit policy. You know, Adam was obviously killed during a foot chase. The DOJ identified foot chases as a problem here in Chicago as, as far back as 2017, that CPD just doesn't have a policy to tell officers when they should or shouldn't chase somebody. I've talked to experts who say it's really important that we get a policy like that, that, that officers need to decide sometimes that they shouldn't make do a chase if it's going to put themselves or other people in danger. At the same time, I haven't heard anybody who said that any foot pursuit policy would have definitely prevented what happened here. I don't know that there would be a foot pursuit policy that would say if you're responding to shots fired and you believe you see a person with a gun running for you, you absolutely running from you, excuse me, you absolutely cannot chase them. So I think it's it's an issue that lots of people believe is important. It seems like we will get movement on it, but I, I don't know that yeah. there's evidence that that would have prevented what happened. Now, here are some of the sounds of Chicago residents who took to the streets peacefully last night in response to this fatal shooting. When I seen that video today, something inside of me died. I felt like like my childhood just died. I want to say to the mama, I'm here with her in solidarity. When I saw that video today, I thought about my three kids. That could have been me when I was 13. I've been in multiple encounters with police throughout my life, even at that age. Like, it, it was just devastating. Brandis, what are we hearing from the community and from protesters right now? Yeah, first, I guess I just want to say that is some chilling sound to hear the gentleman that we just heard say, you know, that could have been me when I was 13 because he had had multiple encounters with the police. You know, I think we're hearing from a lot of folks who feel like their communities have been over-policed. You know, you're hearing from a lot of folks who are also saying that they, they absolutely want to see some justice served here. Yeah. Then I think, you know, you also played some sound. We're hearing from, from folks who are saying that, you know, this cop was doing what he had to do because there was also that additional video that uh, CPD released with a couple of freeze frames showing that there was a gun in his hand and that he managed to just toss it behind the fence. Um, before turning to raise his hands in front of that officer. So the community wants to know a whole lot more. I know there were a couple of small protests. I guess I'm surprised there weren't more and a little bit louder yesterday, and that doesn't mean it's not coming. I wonder if people are exhausted for a number of reasons um, yeah. and frustrated. We are we are expecting some throughout the weekend, but we'll, we'll see what they look like, what the turnout looks like. Yeah, you, you might be right. Folks might just be exhausted. One thing, though, that I, I just don't want to get lost in, in this discussion. All of this talk is sort of shifting away from the fact that Adam Toledo was 13 in seventh grade. I have a seventh grader at home right now. 
on the couch, breathing. Patrick, what was Adam like? Tell us his interests. What were were his dreams? His mother has described him as a a curious, funny kid who, who made people laugh, that he liked Hot Wheels. You know, she described him as just this very sweet kid who was really loved by his family and by and by the people who knew him and you're absolutely right I mean this is a seventh grader his entire life was ahead of him and it's tragic when anyone is killed it's especially tragic when a child this young is killed and and it's something that really stands out in the video that I agree with you I don't think people should watch unless they absolutely have to or I agree with Brandis excuse me um yeah. He just is so young. He's, he, he just clearly is such a little, a little guy. That's WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Also with us for the recap today is WTTW host and correspondent Brandis Friedman. Patrick, Brandis, this is a lot, a lot of information, a lot of voices, a lot of emotions, and there are still a lot of questions. We'll continue to explore all of that next week. But for now, I do hope that everyone can just take a deep breath and take the weekend to reflect and and take care of themselves. Meanwhile, there were some other big stories around the city and the state this week. Stories like these. Illinois is seeing numbers we haven't even seen since January. Public health officials warning we could go back uh, to stricter mitigations if this surge continues. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine and blood clots, the FDA and CDC has temporarily paused the administration of that vaccine in the United States. Chicago Public High School teachers on hold. They're holding a teach out this morning after refusing to report to work for a second day. We have pandemic fatigue too, but we are not willing to sacrifice the lives of our students or their families because we're tired and we want to get back to normal. I think what we have all, um, and like the school board, they give the people um, a chance to have their say so in it. Brandis, the Illinois House passed a bill that would allow elected members to sit on the Chicago School Board. This is a debate that's been raging for years. Right. It is longstanding. And, uh, you know, the community members who have been uh, in favor of an elected school board for quite some time, you know, they've gotten especially frustrated, you know, CTU among them, obviously, especially frustrated in, you know, the back and forth over how uh, to reopen schools this past year. You know, we're talking about high school students going back next week for the first time in more than a year um, to in-person classes. So, you know, there's this legislation in Springfield that's moving through with uh, 21 elected members. Members. And, you know, the mayor campaigned on being in favor of an elected school board. CTU, though, will say that she's been dragging her feet on it, and they're, they're wondering why they don't have an elected school board at this point, because uh, she is not supporting that bill that is in Springfield. She says that 21 members is really unwieldy, and it would be 20 districts across the city that would elect one member plus one, basically, so 20 plus one. That other one would be a... Um, sort of a citywide position that would be sort of a chair of that entire board. But then, you know, as of late, there's been a talk about what is a hybrid board. And um, I think Senator Lightford, Kimberly Lightford, has had a bill that Mayor Lightfoot is in support of and has begun to introduce that one. I'm not quite sure of the status of it, but that one would be more of a hybrid with some elected and some appointed, but I think there's a lot that still has not been figured out there. And Senator Lightford has said, you know, that is that's kind of up to lawmakers and to uh, to the city to figure out what the exact terms of that one would be. You know, one thing for sure that we've heard is that parents feel left out of this. Uh, we did a segment on this earlier this week, and we heard from, you know, 
two active African-American dads talking about, uh, you know, one of them is all for the big 21-member uh, elected board, and the other saying, you know, there, there needs to be a hybrid, and that way the mayor is, has still some accountability uh, versus, you know, the entirely elected uh, board. Because it gets complicated when you talk about money being bred into that system and parents not having the money that it takes to run for that kind of office. So it, it gets complicated. CPS and CTU reached a tentative agreement yesterday on their, their latest negotiation. Now, it means some high school students will be going back to school on Monday for the first time in more than a year. Patrick, what's going on there? The teachers are going to return. It is, this has been a long battle between the teachers union and, and the city. One thing that I think is really interesting there is that despite this really strong fight the city's been putting up to get teachers back in person, it's less than 40% of all high schoolers who ha- who are expected to attend in-person classes two or more days a week. So uh, I'm not saying that in-person learning isn't important, uh, and I'm not weighing in on that battle. It's just interesting how long this fight has been going on, how, how sort of brutal it has been at certain times. And then you have the majority of parents and students opting out of, of resuming in-person classes. Brandis, what are the sticking points that remain here? CTU had requested that the city make accommodations so that high school students ages 16 and above and their families have access uh, to the vaccine spacing in buildings. And the district had said, you know, because some schools have huge populations, you know, knocking on 3,000 or more compared to other schools that have, you know, a couple hundred students and certainly different building capacities throughout the district because some buildings are overcrowded and some are far underused. Um, leaving it to the principals to kind of decide whether or not students are kind of going to return four days a week or sort of uh, a couple days a week uh, at a time, letting them decide. And I think that was worked into the agreement as well, you know, some sort of policy, some sort of structure to determine how how that works and how that looks. Patrick, I want to stick with COVID a little bit here because uh, the state of Illinois has fully vaccinated more than three million people. But Governor J.B. Pritzker decided to pause distribution of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine on Tuesday after reports of blood clots. Catch us up here and tell us what the latest is on that. The Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine was was sort of put on a a larger pause because a small number of people getting blood clots, as you just said, after getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Um, I don't know the timeline on whether or not that's going to be resumed here in Illinois. I said they're waiting for for the tests that a lot of other places are waiting for and, and for the studying of that to see what's going on there and if this is a, a risk, an ongoing risk. And, and Monday, everyone in Chicago will be eligible to get vaccinated. Now, they obviously won't be able to get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, but they will be eligible to be vaccinated on Monday. That brings Chicago up with the rest of the state, and it meets the, the goal that, that President Biden had set, set for the whole country, which is that that everybody, every adult, I should say, who is eligible to get vaccinated if they, if they want to be vaccinated. Brandis, what have medical experts been saying to, to folks who were perhaps worried? You know, maybe they had gotten the J&J vaccine recently and, and didn't know, you know, what was next, or maybe they were scheduled to get it, you know, at a future date. One thing that we heard Dr. Arbody say is that, you know, these blood clots that officials have noticed are extremely rare. I think we're talking about maybe a handful, a little more than a handful, out of 7 million vaccinations that were made. But, she says, the fact that the CDC has recommended pausing use of them lets her know that public health officials are taking safety extremely seriously. Meanwhile, the city has said, you know, we're already working to rearrange, but that does 
for some folks, it is going to slow down access to the vaccine. As it is, there were complaints about the Protect Chicago homebound program to get vaccines out to those folks. Of course, it's easier for them to use the J&J vaccine because the others need that extreme cold temperature that you probably don't have in an automobile. Same thing happened with uh, Chicago State. They immediately switched over to Pfizer. So that means those folks are going to have to come back for a second dose because a lot of folks preferred, you know, just the one and done part of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So that means that's not an option for anybody anymore. And so I think that's going to have some implications there. Now, as we all know, the COVID-19 pandemic caused many people to lose their jobs, right? And unemployment rates surged. But the Labor Department reported yesterday that unemployment applications are actually at the lowest they've been right now since the start of the pandemic, as the world is slowly opening back up. So are we going to see the job market bounce back anytime soon, Patrick? What are your thoughts? Uh, I mean, it looks good. You know, this is the first time in months that we're below that 700,000 plus level uh, that, that we've been stuck at for months. Experts and economists are saying it's not all good news that this doesn't mean, oh, everything's amazing, but it's it's one of many signs that people are seeing that the economy is bouncing back. Uh, there's sort of as vaccines are, are more available, there's been people who are just more willing to, to be out and spending money. And, and so, you know, what I'm reading, uh, I'm certainly no economist or even a business reporter, but what I'm reading is that this is one of many good signs. And that if things continue on, on this path, we're on a good path. I will say the things that make people feel confident or positive about the economy are also maybe the things that are contributing to the fact that we have a COVID rise, which is people are feeling more confident being out there, going out and spending money and and doing things that maybe are not 100 percent safe. What do you think, Brandis? Is our economy on the up and up? I think everybody wants to hope it is, right, and wants to wants to think it is. And it, it could be that, you know, with vaccines. I mean, I also think, you know, if you look across the country, there are uh, a lot of states that have just begun to reopen because it's been more than a year and the COVID fatigue is real. The weather is also getting a little bit better, so restaurants can expand a little bit better outside for those of us who aren't in the southern states where the temperatures are already better. So, yeah. You know, I can hope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, before I let you both go, tell us what you'll be looking for in the upcoming week. Patrick, given your beat, I guess that means we're going to go back to Adam Toledo for a moment. Yes. uh, Usually I like to to make these what I'm looking for more fun. But, uh, yeah, I'll be watching to see what kind of protest movement there is. We're expecting a big one in Logan Square today, and, and we'll just see how the city reacts I think Brandis's point about people maybe being fatigued makes sense. I also think people might just be grieving, uh, which, uh, you know, rather than outrage, sadness that, that I don't know, you know, so I, we'll see. Just I'm, I'm waiting to see how that will affect what protests look like over the weekend. How about you, Brandis? You know, obviously watching for uh, what it's going to be like when high school students return uh, to the classrooms next week because it's trickier for high schoolers. Obviously, they've got varied schedules and Podding is not quite an option the way it is in elementary school, so I'm curious about that. You know, I'm, I'm watching Minneapolis as well in the Derek Chauvin trial. I think closing arguments are supposed to be on Monday. Between that, what's going on with Dante Wright, that is absolutely going to have some implications for, like Patrick said, for the reaction and the protests that we have here. And so I'm, I'm extremely interested also to see how our elected officials begin to respond with regard to action, ordinances, measures, laws, whatever, with regard to whatever reform they think they need to be pushing on. That's WTTW correspondent and host Brandis Friedman and WBEZ criminal justice reporter Patrick Smith. Thank you both. And that's WBEZ's weekly news recap. For the most up-to-date news on Chicago, Illinois, and the world, tune to 91.5 FM. 
or stream us at wbez.org. And check this feed on Sunday morning. We've got the latest on COVID-19 and the vaccine rollout from Illinois' top doc, Dr. Ngazi Azike. Until then, I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. Take care of yourself, and we'll meet again soon. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.